Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast. Living large in New York. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, the producer today, William Jeffries. And today, we'll be talking about estimations and the different variations of pointing. I think William and I have been in various software engineering teams, and we have seen the many different ways that people do estimations. We'll talk about the ones we like, the ones we thought were weird, and some new discovery to me, at least. To me as well. There's just some weird facts. Yeah, these are weird facts. I don't know where it came from. It might have been you know, in the industry for some time. If this is not weird to you and you were aware of this, I would love to hear it because A, I'm going to think you're lying. And B, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear if you actually used it before, because it'll be really interesting to know that this was out in existence and people actually used it on purpose. We'll go right to it, and we're going to jump right to the first one on the list, which is, hey, the best way to estimate is to not estimate. What do you think about that, William? Just don't do it. Friends don't let friends <laughs> use strike points. <laughs> Friends don't let friends do story points. I, now, I don't think I've ever been in a team where we didn't do story points. I know of it existing, though. Have you ever worked in a team that didn't know estimates? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think they fall into two categories, extremely low performing and extremely high performing. Those are the two places where you tend to see no estimates. It's like either nobody knows what they're doing. They've never heard of story mm-hmm. point estimates. They're working off of some garbage to-do list that's full of tasks, some of which aren't even really tech-related. Nobody really knows right. how long anything is going to take. They're just sure that they're behind schedule. And right. eventually somebody comes along and is like, you should maybe have a process here. And Why don't we try and come up with a velocity rather than trying to just guess how long things take? And then you know we have a little more leeway and we can do some better planning. Yeah. So then that's like the, I guess the no estimate in that aspect is the gateway drug to start estimating points, if you will. But eventually a high performing, no estimate engineering team is one that still has that planning process. You know, you have your, I think you mentioned before, you have your iteration planning meeting, you have your refinement meeting to make sure that the stories are well crafted and everyone knows what is expected of the work that gets done. And at the end of that, you know, description of that story, you don't point. That's just the only difference, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that like, you know, if you're talking about like the expanding brain meme, you got P brain is like, we don't do story points because we've never heard of them. And then you have you like glowing brain, which is like, we do story points and we have a sense of our velocity. And then, you know, you're like mega brain. It's like, we do story points and we have like a really stable velocity and management doesn't even really care anymore because they trust us. And the galaxy brain is like, we don't even bother pointing anymore because our process is so good. And we just always write great tickets. Exactly. And so eventually you can fall out of the no estimate once your, you know, process is well-crafted and well-rounded. I think, well, part of it is like you do the points so that you can estimate your velocity and have a sense of what you're going to complete in a given time period. And that's usually because management cares, because management wants to do some kind of long-term planning with that. And really high-performing teams, you know, they get value out of the grooming and making sure that the tickets are easy to pick up and good, but 
once you have the muscle memory and you are writing stories well, generally speaking, and there is really high trust, you don't need these reports to show to management with all this estimates, like all this estimate. Right. It becomes waste and you can eliminate it. Right. If no estimates is something that your team does, I think that you're at a point in time where you are mature of a group enough to be able to move forward without estimates and definitely an interesting way to do your estimations, right? The best way to do it is to not do it, I guess. Next up, we have something that's a little bit more familiar to some folks, to me especially, and it's planning poker. The idea of planning poker is you legit have a deck of cards. I remember, I don't know if you've actually used cards. Have you ever used cards, William, like physical cards? Yeah, yeah. Mountain Goat Software had a deck that they put out. I think it used to be you could order branded decks of planning poker cards for your company. Yeah, Kevin Thomas, friend of the show, got me a deck of cards that I used at my at the company that I, I was consulting in, and we used it to do it one time, and it's a great experience. The cards have you know numbers on them: zero, one, two, three, five, eight, thirteen, twenty, forty, and one hundred. And people will read the story, get an understanding of what it is. You three, two, one, shoot, and you throw your card. And whoever has discrepancies can have a conversation and you talk about it with the cards that are there. I think it's that that is the most standard way of doing estimates I've seen, which I thought works at every team. Anytime that it's introduced, everyone seems to like it, enjoy it, and kind of, you know, it leads to a healthy debate why someone may have thrown a three versus a five and what that means. Yeah, there are apps online you can get that will do this as well. Or you can just have like an anonymous Google Doc. But it's really helpful if you can have the reveal happen at the same time for everybody. So you don't have mm-hmm. that thing where everybody looks at the most senior person on the team or the person who's most familiar with that corner of the code base. And they just kind of copy whatever number that person throws. A lot of teams will just hold up fingers and invariably that's what you see. Or you do it over yeah. a Zoom call and people are just posting into the chat. And it's like people wait until somebody else goes and they just copy. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, software definitely can help so that it is revealed all at the same time, which I think definitely works versus a Zoom chat where it's everyone spamming three, (laughs) because that's usually the number that gets thrown out for every story. But planning poker is good and it's standard, I imagine. If I had to introduce estimations to a client, that's probably where I would start. We're going to take a turn into something a little bit more interesting in terms of what kind of, you know, items or physical objects we use for estimations. The one that I've seen in a team that I've already, that I worked at and was introduced to is t-shirt sizes, right? Everyone knows a particular t-shirt size. They start from extra small, small, medium, large, and extra large. A story can only be comprised of those five things, and people will estimate what they believe the t-shirt size of that story is. Have you ever worked on a t-shirt sized uh, team before? I So mostly I've used t-shirt sizes for epics, and then yeah. you reduce the range to just small, medium, large, with the idea mm-hmm. being that e- epics are so hard to estimate that you can't get as granular Whereas with an individual story, you could do Fibonacci. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, so you mean like segmenting the different parts of a particular feature, you use one type of system 
you know, like for like an epic, like if you have an epic that's like, we're going to build, I don't know, a payment system for the app. Right. That's if I have no idea, man. That sounds like a very large t-shirt. It's definitely not a small t-shirt. Probably not. But to try and get as granular as like the difference between a five and an eight implies a degree of understanding of the problem that you don't have. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, so if you use t-shirts are used for like the larger scope of a particular feature set while, you know, using planning poker can be something where you can be more granular about it. Yeah. I kind of hate t-shirt sizes as a metaphor because like, I feel like the difference between a medium and a large is not that big. There's just not that much when I'm visualizing t-shirts. Like I feel like I I can buy the wrong size t-shirt and still wear it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just buy them large now. I don't even care. I just buy large t-shirts. Yeah, no, that that makes sense though, right? Because like maybe a small to a large, you can see a difference. But like a medium to large, like look very similar. You'd have to, you know, wear it and see where it fits on you. And I don't know who's wearing the t-shirts now that I'm saying that. When we're estimating stories, the t-shirt size is for who? Is it, we put it over the Epic or like the <laughs> computer? Is that is that what's happening? Have you done dog breeds? No. I mentioned before, I am not a resident dog person. I am terrified of dogs. I need to know more about these dog breeds though. Because you mentioned it, that you have done estimations in terms of dog breed points. And I need to get a list of those breeds. How did that work in your team? I mean, I think there are like a bazillion potential dog breeds that you could use. Yeah. Like, so one thing that I like about dog breeds is that they're so far removed from math that I think it kind of discourages people from trying to do any kind of summation. Mm, interesting. Which is an interesting approach. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're converting it into Fibonacci, then that's cheating. Yeah. But also, I kind of like the idea like a Chihuahua is a lot smaller than a Great Dane. Yes. That is correct. I mean, I don't know anything about dogs. I just know those are two very different types of dogs. <laughs> and Chihuahuas are very tiny and Great Danes are huge. And Chihuahuas can be vicious. Just because they're small doesn't mean they're not going to bite you. I mean, those are the kind of dogs I'm terrified. All of them. <laughs> I mean, but I'm terrified for that very same reason. Chihuahuas don't play. That's true. Do you remember, like, did it range from Chihuahua to Great Dane? Like, you had, I know, of pit bulls and bulldogs. And did you have, did y'all have like a favorite five, or was it like people were just more familiar with dog breeds and was able to share what kind of dog breed that particular story felt like? I think the only time I did this, we had some dog breeds picked out. That, uh, and, okay. But I, I think it would be fun to just name whatever dog breed you want. Uh, it, I think it really gets at the sort of the randomness and unpredictable nature of story pointing. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. Is it like a small chow chow or a big chow chow? Like a chow chow can vary, you know, a fair amount in the size. And also how much is there really in the chow chow? Because it's like a lot of it is just the fur. You know, like that's right. a very fluffy dog. Right. Not a lot of meat right. in the chow chow. Exactly. And then, but then you have, I mean, but it's definitely is different from say like a Siberian Husky, right? Like, you know, for a fact that like, that is a completely different dog. I do like, if I had to look at a dog on images on the internet, Pomeranian Husky, my favorite. I love Siberian Huskies. I think they're a beautiful dog. I know that I'd be terrified if I owned one, it would own me. But a Pomeranian Husky is cute. I like those guys. (laughs) If I was working on a team that did dog breeds, though, I probably would research dogs every day 
and then always randomize them if possible, just so that I can get them, you know, it's kind of like a this or that. And I'll be more, that'll be one step closer to losing my fear towards dogs. I think that's the goal. Well, you mentioned before another kind of use of estimations was games. When I thought that this was really, really interesting, where you you select your team selected five different games, right? I thought this was a good idea. So the guy who came up with it had a list of games of varying degrees of complexity. And the idea mm-hmm. was to capture that fact that what makes a story difficult isn't a question of volume. It's a question of complexity. So it was like, mm-hmm. you know, tic-tac-toe is a pretty basic game. There's not a lot of complexity mm-hmm. there. You know, you can count the total number of permutations relatively easily, right? Go right. is a super complex game. It, you know, right. we don't have computers that are powerful enough to brute force a Go game. Whereas like a human being could brute force tic-tac-toe. It's like a mm-hmm. huge, tremendous yes. difference in the, in the degree of complexity of the problem, even though, you know, the board might be a similar size. Mm-hmm. It's like, I see. Pick up sticks, I think, was the most basic, and then tic-tac-toe, and then checkers, and then chess, and then go were the five. Right. And then, like, it's very similar, even, like, the example of, like, checkers and chess, right? You can play those games on the same board, to my knowledge, right? I think there's, like, black and red in the checkers board and black and white, but I think it has the same size in order to play a game. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But the rules of the game are different, and it is more complex checkers versus chess, to my Yeah, in checkers, all the pieces are the same. In chess, every piece is different, and they have their own rules. But you're right. Right. It's an 8 by 8 grid for both of them. I think that would be a very interesting way of – and I think, as you mentioned before, this also kind of takes away from, you know, the mathematics of trying to put a game to a – you know, amount of time that someone spends on a particular story, you know, because like you can play pickup sticks and the length of pickup sticks depends on how many sticks you need to pick up. Right. So it's like <laughs> it's very, very different and kind of far removed from math. Yeah. OK, so this is the one that I, you know, we were doing research on this particular topic. And the one that was very, very strange to me and William, please let me know if it's something you've done before, was gummy bears. Have you ever heard of the gummy bear system? I'd never heard of this. This is is news to me. This is very, very news to me. I was, you know, trying to look up the, if you haven't checked out the agile alliance.org, they have a glossary with all sorts of different words and meanings and definitions and pitfalls about certain things. And I was looking up, we were looking up the points and found that in extreme programming, a standard that was used in the early days of extreme programming was gummy bears, which I, A, first off, you know, I love to hear those folks who are doing the gummy bear system and and their health and whether they're diabetic now or not. But it was just very, very odd way of estimating stories. I will do my best to do a reading from C2.com for actual gummy bears for estimation. It goes something like this. Each programmer gets a bag of real, physical gummy bears at the computer to munch on while programming. The contents are counted out before and after a programming session. Programmers should be instructed to eat them at least a certain baseline 
rate representing work done while motivated and yet not required to think, say, one per 15 minute of perfectly in the groove work. I guess that's the talk about when they're in the zone and stuff. But without an upper limit. But a programmer who notices a sharp increase in his or her own or partners in the case of pair programming, gummy bears of complexity intake, should treat this as a thought smell and step away to think about the task at hand or switch roles. So the idea is you take a bag of gummy bears and you set them down. As you're working on the story, you pick up a gummy bear and eat the gummy bear. And if you're, you know, are working efficiently and in the groove, as it says in this little passage, you may complete the work in X amount of gummy bears that you're familiar with. Does that make sense at all to you, William? Have you have you ever had done that with a snack, like with M&Ms or with gummy bears or gummy worms? Now, I find snacking during programming to be super dangerous because you, you can just consume a huge volume of gummy bears or whatever the snack is. Exactly. Who eats one gummy bear at a time? Don't tell me how to live my life, man. I'm going to take a handful if I have to, if I need to, especially if I'm anxious about a problem. But I think that's what this is trying to capture. It feels like Japanese water torture or something to like, you know, you only you have to wait another 15 minutes before you get your next gummy bear. Try and focus on work with this gummy bear like right next to you. You're not allowed to touch it for 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. As the gummy bear is staring at you, please eat me. I am delicious. It's like the like the marshmallow test for kids, but for programmers. Yeah, exactly. But for adults, programmers, right? The resulting context, according to the article, is each programmer develops his or her own metrics for task complexity based on past history. He or she can expect to eat X many gummy bears while completing the next task following the usual practice based on current load conditions he, she can then translate that into time estimate if need be. So you look at a story. Let's try this thought exercise. When you're looking at this story, say we need to, I don't know, suppose we were working at Facebook and we had to create the thumbs up feature, right? I don't know. It just comes into mind. Wait, how many gummy bears do you think that would take for you? And like the fact that you would know a number and you'd be like, yo, Bobby, that's going to take me uh, 12 gummy bears to eat. And I'm like, cool, 12. Let's put that on the board. Get your 12 gummy bears. Let's go. What, how do you, could you think of a scenario in your past where you would have thought in terms of gummy bears? No, definitely not. I mean, I think that this is getting at the idea of like, you know, uninterrupted quality work hours, which is a metric I've always hated. Right. Where they're like, you should have five quality work hours during the day. It's like, you're getting too precise with your time estimates. This is unrealistic. You can't guess that. And that's the point of estimates, right? Because like we can estimate the amount of time something's going to take, but it's not like the actual amount of time. I think this might lead to, you know, it's just you're kind of avoiding the question of, you know, why did it take so long to why did you have to eat so many gummy bears? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this gummy bear thing is pretty interesting. There are some drawbacks. I'm not going to read through those. Diabetes. It's one of the drawbacks. Yeah, no. One of the drawbacks here in this list says you'll kill any diabetics on your team. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing they were aware that people who are using the gummy bear system for estimating points are more likely to A, kill any diabetics or B, introduce diabetes to a developer's life, which I don't think that is a good thing we should do. 
We should be building salary healthy. Sticks. How many yeah, salary, salary sticks? sticks. <laughs> the salary stick system, yes. We should definitely think about more healthier ways of estimating. If you would change, I think salary sticks is a great addition. I'm curious to hear what are some other ways we would change this food estimation system for salary sticks. I had M&Ms in mind, but that, again, that'll lead to diabetes for sure. Almonds, maybe? I don't know. That seems like... Uh, Almonds are like... Those those pack a punch. Those are calorically dense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then you'd feel full at, at, a, at a day's worth of work if you have like... You know, if a story takes 10 almonds, then you're mm-hmm. probably be like, oh, okay, and, and I'm done for the day. Like, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, be curious to hear what are other kinds of food you would use to estimate. And if you actually use gummy bears, if this is a thing you've done in the past, I would love to interview and talk about how this system worked out for your team. Did everyone get diabetes? Did they find it effective? <laughs> right? I'm just like really curious because this, this came right into our laps and I wanted to share this with individuals. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.